toilet on speakerphone because she eats old leftovers. Um, But we are here with future New York Times bestselling author, although it might not be future by the time we... Oh, shush. No, well, it's going to be two weeks. Hopefully, hopefully. Anyway, we are with Amy Dresner, whose book, which has like the best title ever, My Fair Junkie is out. Um, it's not, now normally we like talk, we do a lot of fashion and beauty, but we talk a lot about other things. And I think that what's really important, first of all, like if you're not an addict, you know, someone who is, and if you don't know someone who is, who the fuck are you? Like, where do you live? <laughs> like, what is your I'm life like? It, it must not, it must not be very interesting. <laughs> like it must suck. So I think that no matter what your challenges are in life, You know, sometimes, like, we make bad choices or we're just dealt a shitty hand or things aren't what, you know, people make mistakes. Things aren't what we think they are. And, you know, and if you can overcome them, no matter what those challenges are, I think that's so important. And, like, what I really like about Amy is that she's overcome them and, like, kicked ass, done really well. She's a brilliant fucking writer. Um, So she's, yeah, she's here with us terrible segue um so what i want to know is is this it's so funny because i've read most of your book right and i've read so all of your and by the way there'll be links in the show notes and, and you all interviewed that. me back in 2015 before was this was even in 2015 because i know because you used I to hear about that i know oh, wait i i was gonna say i don't know if i told you that um but i did you tell me that Amy had these amazing articles for The Fix because she was... Well, you you tell your story, exactly how you sort of ended up in this community... Was it community service, community it was labor? community labor. Ugh. Yeah. So, uh, in a nutshell, I'm like a Beverly Hills Jew with, like, a Hollywood lineage... She's and gorgeous. ...and all this kind of stuff. Thank you. And, um, yeah, I was dealt... You know, we don't really know the cause of addiction, you know, whether, you know, Gabor Mate says it's all childhood trauma and then other people are like, it's all genetic or a combo of both. But all I know is I have a lot of mental illness and addiction in my family. And um, so I've sort of been in six rehabs and in and out of, uh, mm-hmm. of 12-step programs for like 20 years. And I've had time and lost it and had time and lost it. And uh, everything came to a head. I was married, and I was high on Oxycontin, and I pulled a knife on my now ex-husband, and he called the cops on me like you should when someone threatens you with a knife. (laughs) You know? (laughs) Domestic violence is not ever okay, even if you're high, not an excuse. And uh, I went to jail for felony domestic violence with a deadly weapon. And I got sentenced to 240 hours of community labor, which is not community service, which is like, I'm folding you know, shirts in a thrift store at Echo Park. Mm -hmm. This is like picking up trash, like me and 40 Mexican guys where they're like, what you here for, Weta? I'm here for a DUI. And I'm like, um, I'm here for felony domestic violence with a deadly weapon. They're like, oh shit. So (laughs) I had a year of of domestic violence uh, and anger management and I had 240 hours of community labor and it was fucking life changing. And um, the book, is sort of my, you know, I try to kill myself. The book has got flashbacks to all different parts of my drug use and um, and sort of what I learned being on the chain gang and how I came back from all of it and got sober. Now I have over four and a half years. That's amazing. You know, one thing, so your book opens up with the incident. And yes. one thing that I thought 
This is the strangest question. As someone who considers herself an opiate connoisseur, although I've never, like, done heroin or anything, mm-hmm. like, but, like, I've done, I can't even believe I'm saying this on the podcast, but I'll just be honest. I have the most, like, the highest tolerance for opiates out of anyone I know. I can take Dilaudid and drive a car and not be knocked out. I have to take, like, Vicodin on top of it. Like, I, it's insane. Like, right. I, like, it's terrible. But I like to just be on the couch and just, like I can't. It made really... me very aggressive. Oxy made me very aggressive. What? Yeah, Oxycontin made me very, very aggressive. It like, made me weird. Yeah, I, I have the weird response to drugs. Like when I was shooting cocaine, I was like super calm. I was like the most emotionally collected I've ever been. But other like even like a f- antidepressant effectser made me super aggressive, and I like karate chopped a real estate guy. I was like, ah! I like karate chopped him. It's like. Drugs have weird effects on me, and booze is, like, n- really bad. I'm, like, naked and violent immediately. It's really bad. <laughs> Which, you know, so. Um, yeah, Oxy did not agree with me. So, well, no drugs do, but. No, because I'm just, like, I couldn't accomplish, like, getting a knife out of a fucking, like, knife. Well, it was like, a low dose. Bag. I mean, it was a low dose for a shoulder injury, but I was abusing it anyway. Like, that's I don't I'm just like that's really impressive that you have that reaction because I just get so lazy like whenever yeah, I that's do what you're anything. Supposed to, you're supposed to chill out. You're not supposed to become violent. <laughs> <laughs> but I totally look. Look, we've all wanted to do that to our husbands at one point or another. Like we we have. Like like don't even don't. But I know. Have I'm, you? That's the, no. Okay, no. that's why you're still married. <laughs> no, but we've, but we've all thought about it. Maybe exactly. So. You were, okay, so before all this, when did you start writing for, for The Fix? I feel like it was before this, but I could I started be writing for The Fix in 2012. I was a comic. I was doing a stand-up comedy for about five years, and then the then editor reached out to me and said, hey, write a piece for us about sex and dating and sobriety. And I was like, why, because I'm funny or I'm slutty <laughs> or both? Um, and I wrote a piece, and the response was terrific. And so I started writing for them, and I've been writing for them for the last five years. And then, you know, readers were like, write a book, write a book. And then, you know, I finally did the chain gang thing. I mean, I've been chronicling everything while it was happening for the fix. Like, all my relapses, the whole everything. And they and they sort of like because that's what I'm thinking is I think I've read like over the years probably a good portion of your articles I don't mm-hmm. think I've read all of them I have no I don't know what I'm idea. doing here then if you haven't read all my articles <laughs> <laughs> I, think I, read, I read many of them and um, so even though when you re- like how did you feel writing about that because I feel like there's so much pressure like because and I've like talked about it a little bit on the podcast not that much and this is I'll get into as I say I have to do a whole podcast on my story and what happened to me but I was trying to be sober for a while and there is like so much fucking pressure dude like it's really hard it's really hard I nap a lot that's my new thing I'm just like well you know I go to I have a sponsor I go to 12-step meetings I used to meditate, but it made me feel too good, so I stopped doing it. It <laughs> makes total sense to me. Um, how do I feel? Well, to be honest with you, do you mean, how do I feel in ge- writing the book or having all my stuff out there? You know, or? like, just, like, sort of, like, chronicling all this in the middle of it. Like, you know, you're doing this. You realize, like, like you showing you know, your imperfections dirt, to that world. Right. Well, that's sort of who I am. I'm kind of filterless. I'm kind of overly honest. That's sort of my style. I don't really know how to sort of put a polish or shine on it. Like, I'm probably a publicist nightmare, (laughs) you know? And it's like, um, when I was going through it, it was easier than writing the book and going back and reliving it. 
having the clarity I do now and without the denial I had at the time, especially the sex addiction stuff, that was really tough to write about. And also some of the IV drug use scenes where I was like shooting up and having a seizure and then shooting up again. It's like, hey, maybe if you have a seizure, you shouldn't shoot up right after you have a seizure. But I was like, no, I was like, no, I just, I'll wear a helmet so I don't crack my head open. You know, it's (laughs) like, so it was very difficult to to go back and also put yourself in that headspace because the book is written in now. The book mm-hmm. is right now. Everything's happening right now, except for the flashbacks. It's all present tense, which was also difficult. So um, it was it was hard. It was uh, it was emotionally really sort of a roller coaster writing the book. And I think you said that you wrote it in like I could be totally wrong. I'm quoting your Facebook six months. Yeah, well, I had a turnaround date of six months. They were six, like, like how do you discipline? Like I feel like how do you discipline? You have a deadline. Into into doing that. Like, you have a deadline. Also, I've been chronicling this stuff as I went along. You know, I've you know struggled with drugs and depression for years, and I have you know half a dozen half finished novels on my <laughs> computer. So I went through. I I got to use fixed pieces. They gave me permission, so I used nice. some stuff. And I also had chronicled some stuff. And I had six months. And I'm a fast writer. I'm lucky. I'm a fast writer. That's that's impressive. I mean, like I that's. It's so funny. I guess, like, if I... And you worked... See, I feel like... And I, I worked write, a job at the same time, and okay. I wrote for the fixer. That's hard. Because I... Were you just, like, in front of a computer the whole time? Yes. I wrote that wow. book. Well, I edit for... Um, I edit for an evolutionary-based psychology love advice columnist called uh, Amy Alcon. I edit for her three days a week. And then I was writing articles for the fix, and I was writing the book all on a breakfast tray in bed in a pool house. Wait, I think wow. I was in that pool house. Where you oh, had your birthday. My birthday. I don't know if yeah. I was in the pool house, yeah, but yeah. I was, in the, yeah, I was yeah. in the main house. So I wrote, I wrote the book there, and I wrote the book when I was living in Inglewood. And there's a section where I'm living in Inglewood when I get out of sober living after I've been in two and a half years, and it's like skinny white Jew in Inglewood, and it's pretty funny. No, I saw that. I like, I like that. You know what's the really weird thing about L.A. versus New York? And, like, Allie, chime in here. I think L.A., I find it to be a very segregated city. I have oh, never lived yeah. in New York, 100%. so I don't know. You agree? 100%. 100%. Interesting. It's very odd. Like, whereas, like, in New York, like, I could go... Like, when I was a little kid, I would rollerblade in Spanish Harlem, like, on the FDR Drive. Like, no one gave... Well, right. my parents certainly had no idea what was going on. <laughs> but, no, I think they knew. But the, the point is, like, I could, in, like, short shorts, where, like, I could have been, like, raped and molested in two... Like, I sometimes think about it, and I'm like, oh, my God. Like, wow. I was... And I'm... But, like... You could not, I mean, look, you could do whatever you want here, but it's not where, New York is like, it's totally, it's totally different. Like, there's a level of comfort, whereas, like, here, like, oh, going south of Venice, yeah, and it's yeah, like, yeah. there's just like this, you being the other, like, was it weird, you being the minority? Oh, God, yeah, and I was the minority on the chain gang, too. I mean, it was, I was, like, one of the few girls and one of the only white people. The same thing in Inglewood. And for being someone who came from Beverly Hills, who was the, you know, the majority, and I was like, I'm an entitled princess, you know, like, to be, to be the minority, and it was really an incredibly eye-opening experience. I'm really happy it happened. It was very, and also, I mean, sweeping the streets, there's nothing more humbling than sweeping the streets. Like, sweeping actual bum poo. And, like... No one would talk to us. Like, we're in, like, outfits and stuff, and, like, no one... Everyone ignored us, except for, like, drunk people who were like, Yo! Good morning! 
thanks for sweeping up my little bedroom. I mean, the bus stop, you know, it's like, you know, but everyone else was like, ew. Yeah, everyone else was like, ew, criminals. And I was like, wow, man. I was like, anything can happen to anyone. Like, we're all capable of anything. Like, I never thought this would happen to me. It was so bizarre. And it really created for me a sense of, like, compassion and connection to other people. You know, I saw a lot of people who were mentally ill and strung out on the streets. And I know that, but for the, you know, the generosity of my parents and my friends, that that absolutely could have been me, you know? So it was just, it was very humbling and very grounding. It's, that's like amazing that you could go and it does really though sound like, like a movie or like, like Private Benjamin, but not at all, you know, like what, what did I get myself into? Right. Wait, so you had 240 hours. So how many, like, that's like 30 days, but like, you know, it's eight hour days, but you're, it was, but you're sweep. Okay. So you could either sweep the streets, Mm -hmm. which was like you on your feet for eight hours in the hot sun. It was so fucking exhausting oh i can't even tell you i got pink eye oh i got God. pink eye one time i mean like it was and i'm old okay i'm an old dragon like, mm-hmm. i'm in my 40s that shit's exhausting like I, you know it's like or you could um paint over graffiti or you could scrub the sidewalks and get graffiti off the sidewalks so those were the three different things that you could do so it's like three things that all suck equally they, yeah they were all exhausting it's, you know so it's like i talk about them all and just being on the chain gang and it's just like it was just funny I mean it was really I don't want to blow the book you know because I, I want people to buy it but it was like you know it was like me and a bunch of Mexican guys like always like you know <laughs> listening to ranchero music you know ranchero eating fucking churros and like worse. shit like that and like they're like watching chicks doing banana eating contests they're like oh that's real I will marry her Holmes can you do that Amy I'm like Let, leave me out of this guys you know what I mean like did you make friends? I mean, I feel like... I did make friends, but no one else was chronicling their thing on Facebook. Everyone else was like, don't tag me in anything. I'm pretending I'm on vacation. Everyone else was really ashamed of it, and I was sort of, you know, kind of flaunting what was going on. Not flaunting, but I was just... I refused to be ashamed of it. I would take pictures of stuff I saw, <laughs> you know, on the streets, and I took pictures of people from the back so you could see your uniform, and it was like, I just thought, wow, this is an interesting experience, and people will want to share it, and that was sort of what the basis of the book came, people were like, fucking get arrested again. That was amazing. Those mm-hmm. were my favorite posts. Like, that's so, it's so like, you know, it's so funny. Like, I'll tell you, like, my mom especially will be like, I made this, I was saying something to her today, and she's like, don't say that on Facebook. And my mom does that all the time. Don't <laughs> say that. Like, don't tell uh, anyone that. My parents like, have, let, have given up on that. Like, or like, because I get, you know, because I get like Botox and fillers and all that stuff. And my mom is like, don't tell anyone or don't tell anyone you had your nose done. I'm like, mom, I had my nose done. Like, it's not... It's not like you paid for it, so it's not a insurance covered it. Um, it's not uh, like septum, don't you know? They Come on now, dude, that worked. I don't know how. Oh. I never like signed off on any sort of like legitimate sheet, sheet of paper. I think we need to be honest about like, stuff. I really do. I think that we need to be. I think that's the why Facebook and social media is so isolating. And even you see all these Instagram models go, "Oh, I took a hundred sh- photos." you know, to get that one shot. And you it's do. like, everyone feels less than. And it's like, I mean, my book is really, I, I, I chronicle some really mortifying, mortifying moments of assholery. Like, <laughs> really true assholery. And it's like, because, I, and I've gotten notes from people, they're like, thank you, I feel so much less ashamed. I thought I was the only one that did that. Like, thank you. 
for your honesty. And to me, that's what it's about. It's like, I mean, I keep quoting this, but Jerry Stahl said, if you had the nerve to live what you lived, you should have the nerve to fucking write it. And I was like, okay. No, but that's true. That's true. I have to, I want to read Permanent Midnight. I've seen the movie like a million times. And I know people the don't. The movie blows. I it, like the, book, the movie. The book, well, then you'll love the book. The book is much better. I, you know what? I like, I like the movie. Also, I used to watch it like, I don't know. It was always like on TV. You should read the book. You should read the book. I, I know. He blurred my book. I was so, he's like one of my like idols. So the fact that he blurred my book was like huge to me and that he, he called my book mortifying like then you feel <laughs> he like, like yeah he's like hor- he said horrifying and mortifying like when Jerry Stahl calls your book horrifying and mortifying but weirdly life affirming you're like holy shit was it that bad like <laughs> oh my god wow that's so so when you were writing this were you just some, like did you look back and you were like oh god wait I have to like tell people like I was gonna say like you know, I wasn't, it was just, it was really hard. I mean, it's a very specific headspace I was in when I was in my like worst drug addiction and a very specific compulsive headspace that I was in when I was in my like sex addiction. And it was just really dark and painful to kind of go back into that headspace because I wanted to like show people what it's like. I didn't, you know, so that they could see an arc of transformation. So it wasn't an out-of-body experience. It was just more like there was a lot of feelings of sort of shame that came up. And I just, you know, was kind of processing that. And there was a lot of stuff I really didn't want to write about. I was like, oh, God, I do not want to put, put this down on the page. Oh, my God, it's so embarrassing. And I was like, have the balls, Amy. That's the shit that makes fucking good, good reading. And it's like, you know... I mean, I feel weirdly bulletproof now. Like, people have read, there's nothing left, like, for them to go, well, did you blow? It's like, it's all out there now, you know? And yeah, I, I, you're, I, so much, you're so much stronger, and like you said, like, there's not much that can shake you now because you've been through something that so many people, you know, honestly, even if they go through, don't always come out of, and you're so much, like, stronger for it, and you said, like, you appreciate things so much more, and it's... You know, you learn so much from it, and you also can, like, look at other situations and go, oh, wow, fuck, I've already been here. Like, I know what that person's going through, and there's something, like, really amazing about that. Yeah, I mean, I really wrote this book. Yeah, to be entertaining, it's funny and blah, blah, but I also really wanted to help people. I wanted people to go, well, fuck, she was an epic fuck-up, so if she <laughs> can, if she can get sober and get out of there, there's hope for me. And if that, the book is dedicated to anyone who thinks it's too late. Like that's right. Like I really, really wanted to give people hope. So, and I, I mean, like in terms of the sex addiction stuff, which was mortifying to write, like really, there are scenes that are just mortifying. And it's like, I know I'm not the only person who ever did something sexually that they didn't want to do with someone they didn't want to do it with because they felt pressured or didn't want to make the person mad or didn't want to seem like a prude. That's so, like everyone. Right. That's not so, even like that. Of like, course. That's like a Friday night now. Right. I know. So it's like, We've take all that, that to the, you know, nth degree and then that's sex addiction, but you're being, it's being, the compulsion was with, within you, you know? So it's right. like, it's all based on the feelings. People will identify with the feelings, whether they, be, they identify with the behavior or the substances or not, because addiction really is about feelings. It's about escaping feelings. It's, right. you know, one thing that I thought was really interesting about, you know, in your story, and, like, 
I could be totally wrong, but you, like, didn't... What surprised me the most is, like, you hear a lot of people, okay, they start doing drugs in high school or they start smoking weed or whatever, and you were, like, in your 20s and yeah, someone gave yeah. you, like, I was a line a of... Bloomer. Like, yeah. I was just like, huh? I know. What? Like, I, but that's... Yeah. What were you doing? I'm sorry. What were you doing in high school and college that you weren't doing drugs? I'm um, sorry, I'm well, well, my dad and I made a bet. You know, I went to Westlake in mm-hmm. Bel Air, and so my dad was like, "I want my kid to get out with uh, Beverly Hills with a sense of values," and so he made a bet with me that I would drink or smoke or do drugs before I was 18, and if I didn't, he'd give me a thousand bucks. And hey, that's how Jews raise each other, right? We bribe exactly. each other. So, um, I, and also I was kind of obsessed with purity and I was scared really? of drugs. I was really kind of scared of drugs. And I think deep down, I probably knew that it was going to be a, a major problem. So I didn't lose my virginity or have a drink till I was 19. And I didn't do any hard drugs. I just smoked pot. I was 22 and I didn't do any, I did meth at 24. That's like. I know it's weird. It's really weird. Also, that's, like, fast. Like, pot to meth. Because people will go through their whole lives. <laughs> Why, really? And just... and just get to where we're going. Pot. Like, uh, you know, like... And then, you know, they try other things. But, like, two years... It usually takes, like... I mean, if you start younger, you know... I mean, most people don't start out smoking meth. I don't think. No, I started... I just... That was just, like, a... I, I mean, I tried ecstasy when I was in San Francisco, but it was like someone gave me a line, and I didn't know what it was. They were like, here, do a line of this. I'd never done cocaine. They were like, do a line of this. This will help you get... I was a waitress, and they were like, this will help you get through your waitressing shift. And I was like, okay. I didn't know what it was. I snorted it, and I hated it. I was like, oh! I felt like I was like on rocket fuel, and I was shaking. But the second time I did it, mm-hmm. a couple months later, something in me clicked, and this weird, like, vacuum opened up inside me. And I was like, oh, this is what I've been looking for. I feel normal for the first time. Like, this is the magic okay. pill. Yeah. And then just... That's, I... that's the genetic component. That's the that's... weird biological hook where something just went... And I was like, oh, I feel normal. Like, it made me feel normal. It made me feel like I wanted to feel. It made me feel like Prozac should have made me feel. That's it was, so... It was really that's fucking so scary. Yeah. It's just, like, very, very different. And then it's, like, you just sort of... I don't know. It's just, it's just sort of... that I still can't believe... Like, I'm just, like, you didn't do... I'm trying to, like, do the math of, like, you were afraid. And then all of a sudden, you were just, like... You didn't even think anything. Like No, I was afraid. Was. I was very... Well, okay. As, you know, addicts and alcoholics and recovering addicts alcoholics, we're very extremist, okay? So we're either, like shooting heroin or we're vegan you know what I mean like that's like moderation doesn't come easily to us so we're at one you know one of those poles mm-hmm. um I was very into the purity thing and I remember I was driving up and this is in the book and I just was like I don't know who I am like am I afraid of all these things and that's why I'm avoiding them or do I really not like them like how can you not know if you like something if you haven't tried it and so when I moved to San Francisco I was like I'm gonna say yes to every experience that comes my way (laughs) no matter what it is lesbianism and you know washing dishes and you know, drugs, and I'm gonna, you know, and I was doing spoken word, and I just was like, I had no idea that it would hook me, and I would, you know, be dragged down this this path. I just was kind of like, oh, it's my year of saying yes, and being fearless. Uh, yeah. And it kind of exploded in my face. Right. So you, what did you do in college then? What did you, I like... Drank. Oh, okay. I don't know why. I thought you didn't drink at all in no, college. No, no, no. And I'm just like, God, I would have been so... College was no. kind of boring to begin with. But <laughs> Yeah, I drank. But, you know, it's like, 
everyone's drinking and puking and falling down and blacking out. Oh, of course. So I didn't stick out. I didn't look like an alcoholic in college because everyone looks like a fucking alcohol. Everyone is experimenting. So I didn't, it didn't look that different. And then, so then you went, sorry, what, Allie? No, I was laughing. She's like, but I, I didn't look that different because she's right. No, no, but it's it's true, though. It's like, I like I think about things I did in college, and I'm like, oh, fuck. Like, that was so dangerous. Thank God I'm still a lot. Like, I think everyone. I know. Like, no, same. I think back to so many things I tried and did, and I'm like, Wow, okay, I'm, I'm glad I'm still here and like you, I definitely you, talk about it. Oh my I mean, god. You're telling me. This is four, yeah, su- four suicide attempts. It's you just, know? I mean, but I also think it's really weird. I think like also you just get to the point where your brain is just so like influenced by outside chemicals, you just can't even think clearly. At yeah, I just, a certain point. Whereas like you're the kind of person who I think wants to live and wants to achieve and wants to of do well. Of course. But I was, I mean, I just got sidetracked. I had no idea. I'd never been around drug addicts. I'd never seen drug addicts. You know, it wasn't until later that I really found out that addiction was, like, heavily in my genes. And so it's, you know, it's like getting fat. You don't get fat overnight. You're doing a little bit of drugs every day, and then all of a sudden you're fucking strung out. It's the same thing with, like, gaining weight. You know what I mean? All yeah. of a sudden you're, like, eating a little bit, and all of a sudden you're like, I can't get in these jeans. It's the same thing. It's, like, slow, and then all of a sudden you're there. And so, right. and, it, and is it like is it fair to say it's a pretty quick escalation once you're there? It's so different for everyone. For me, it was. You know, some people have like a longer period, but um, before it really, really hooks them, and they're you know they're experimenting, and then it becomes more and more frequent. But for me, it was like oh, the second time I did it, then I was like doing it every day. You know. Right. Right. Because I have, I have. Uh, family who's been addicted and family who's still addicted and you know they describe it to me as um you know very fast and escalating um and like how you said and like it was like yeah it didn't happen overnight but then once they got in this groove and they decided that they enjoyed that feeling then it was just like a continuous escalation and then it was like okay good i feel normal i feel good let me stick to this yeah, it just yeah. Once you cross a line into sort of active addiction, there's like really no going back. I mean, that's kind of my experience. I mean, some people can do harm reduction and kind of scale it back, but I have to be totally abstinent. And then like you're just, you know, then when you're not doing the drugs, you're you feel like crap. You know, you're either right. detoxing, yeah, or you're yeah. So it's like, then there was times when like I was like on meth and I stopped doing meth. I couldn't get out of bed. I couldn't get my arms over my head. I just was so exhausted. So I was like, I was absolutely not, I couldn't function without the drug. Um, and I've never been a junk, I've never been a heroin addict, but you know, for them, like if they don't get their fix, they start to get sick. You know, I was yep. never ready for that level of commitment. They started on, you know, oxy and progressed. And yeah. that's how they were. They literally could get they'll get sick or, you know, have a major, you know, anxiety attack right. because they can't get their fix. And it's right. so easy when you think that, like, you know, that's something that you're not supposed to be doing and then your body gets so used to it. I know, it's really like, weird. Oh, my God. Yeah. You're actually addicted to it. Yeah, I never yeah, liked the downers. Yeah, I never liked the downers. So, I mean, I smoked heroin once and I was like, that sucked. I was like, I, like, fell asleep. I'm like, that's boring. Like, I'd rather do stuff. I liked cocaine and meth right. where you, like, get to collage and refinish furniture and, like, you know, do stuff, 
tweeze your eye, tweeze your eyebrows for 18 straight hours, whatever, you know, really important stuff. I feel like a lot of the people who are really into microblading right now were really into meth at one point. <laughs> because like, they just have no eyebrow. It's just like, you can just tell. I never, well, I, these are my real eyebrows. I've never microbladed. No, I know you have, I know. Like, <laughs> you, you've lived hard, but like, you look amazing. That's just genetics. I don't know why. I should look like an apple doll. Remember any of those dolls that they make with they take the apple and they shrivel it up in the oven? That's what I should look like. I have no idea why. I'm, I have greasy skin. I have acne still. I have no idea why I look this good. No, but you know if you have greasy skin and you're older, it's better. It's like I know. more, like, it's That's more why. Moisture. I'm preserved. I'm a vampire. Exactly. You're like, what's that movie? Death Becomes Her? <laughs> where they... We're like they have that like potion and it like preserves you, but then like your arm falls off at some point. It's like with I'll let you know when my arm falls off. With like Goldie Hawn and um, Meryl Streep. I love that was like one of my favorite movies as a kid, which explains a lot. <laughs> like it really explains a lot. So then you went from okay, so you were living in San Francisco. Right. Then you went back to so LA. So I came back to LA. My parents moved me back to LA. They were like, okay, maybe she'll be sober in LA. She was sober in LA before, and I was like, you know, clean for a couple months. But I was drinking like two bottles of wine a night. But again, I was in my early twenties, and I'm like reading Bukowski, and I'm mm-hmm. like, you know, all the great writers are drunks, you know. And mm-hmm. so it's like, and then I relapsed on meth, and then I, you know, kept. Then basically the meth became a huge problem until I walked into a market and I woke up in an ambulance and I'd had a grand mal seizure. Oh, wow. Yeah, they were like, did you do any drugs tonight? And I'm like, obviously some really shitty ones. <laughs> <laughs> Here I am. So that got me in a rehab for the first time. And then I had a couple, six or seven years clean. And then uh, I relapsed again on pot. And then it led to booze and it led to coke. And then I went back into treatment. And then I started shooting cocaine, which is like a whole other thing. Like IV drug use is like a game changer. That's like a whole. And that's like another, that's like another one of those lines where you think like, I'll never do that. Mm-hmm. And I did it. Was that, like, scary? Because a lot of people get, like, hepatitis. I sound so innocent. A lot of people get, like, I do, like... Well, I didn't share needles. I wasn't that stupid. There Mm -hmm. are people, though, who who do, and then it ends up being, like, or you get, I mean, people, you can get AIDS. It ends up being a fucking mess. Oh, it's a mess anyway. I mean, it's the easiest way to die. You know, it's just so, it's because it's so easy to overdose, you know? But, um, and I wasn't very good at it because I didn't really know what I was doing, so... You know, but I never got abscesses and I never got staff. I was really lucky. Um, but yeah, that's a whole other, you know, like I shot up in my neck and okay. If you, if I'd shot up in an artery, I would have killed myself immediately. I don't know about you, but I don't know the difference between veins and arteries. Like I just looked up in, I just tied the robe of, uh, my, I tied the, the, the belt of my robe around my neck and oh got in the God. mirror and like hit something that I thought looked juicy and it went in there and it's like I didn't know what I was doing I'm not a fucking nurse I'm not a phlebotomist you know and I'm like I'm it's astonishing I'm alive I have no idea why why, why you're not like there are much better places to <laughs> I'd already done my arms and I, cause I was like in it I was like I'm a drug addict let's embrace it mm-hmm. you know and some kid in rehab had shot up in his neck and I was like let's try it I wonder if that's a better high and like once you've crossed this line into that whole area you just don't care 
You know, you're just like courting death. That's almost half the fun where you're like, is this going to kill me? Let's try, you know? <laughs> wow. So then what was like, because you said you've been sober for four years? Four and a half years. Four and a half I'll years. I'll be up five years in January. That's amazing. Thank you. Wow, so, that's amazing. Thank you. That really is. Like, that's just, like, such a miracle, especially, like, just, like, going through for a long, I mean, like, like, what was it, like, 20 years? Yeah, in and out, yeah. In and out. I mean, that's just, like, wow. that's, what, like, was different this, this I lost time? everything. I lost everything. That's what was different. I lost my marriage. I lost my home. I lost my sanity. I lost my sobriety. I had, like, I think, I can't, a couple years sober when the whole incident happened, and I ended up penniless in a psych ward. And I got scholarship to a rehab, and I was in sober living for two and a half years, and I was sweeping the streets, and I was babysitting for $10 a day, oh uh, $10 an hour, and I was on medical disability, and I fucking bottomed out, and everyone was over my shit, including myself. And I just, my dad was like, you've drained me financially and emotionally for years, I'm over it, like get it together. Like everyone was over it. And I just had this moment, and I was like, I need to take full responsibility for my life and my decisions, and I'm not a victim, and I need to change the way I, my whole orientation towards life. Because before, I was very princessy. Like, I didn't want to work, and everyone was going to take care of me, and blah, I'll blah. I'll tell you, though, that's from going to an all-girls school, because I went to an all-girls school, and, like, and I've sort of said this, there are some girls I went to school with who've right. done, like, really amazing things. And then there are some where I'm like, I don't think, like, we were ever kind of... And maybe because it was a different time, it's not now where women are like, oh, learn STEM and computer coding. <laughs> like, I don't think, like, we were, like... I don't think I'm most like, people expected to actually work. Like, I, I don't know. I, I, mean, I, so. I, I don't know, but a lot of the girls that I went to school with ended up being lawyers. Like, I'm the only one of my friends who ended up being a drug addict. And we all went to the same school. To me, I think it was just more like... I was, I, I didn't think I could take care of myself, so I picked people to take care of. It was my father, and then it was my, you know, ex-husband, and, you know, I was like, I don't want to take care of myself. I'm lazy and princess, and I'm entitled, and the universe was like, really, bitch? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, you meet your destiny on the road, you go to avoid it. It was like, you know, so it was like driving an $80,000 car to sweeping bum poo on the fucking streets. I was like, whoa! It was like a fucking shock. I mean, you know, and it was exactly what I needed. And I'm so grateful it all happened because it just, it gave me a wake up call. It gave me a wake up call. So it's, so I feel like you are like the token late bloomer, but like bloomer, like you're a garden. You've like, like you wrote a fucking book. Like you're everywhere. You have a kick-ass publicist. who's probably going to listen to this. (laughs) Um, You know, how do you, because I feel like, I don't know, especially, like, for, for younger, and you're, you're not a millennial, but, like, you're around millennials. You. How dare you give away my age? <laughs> like, <laughs> I think that there's, like, a certain, like, you know, there are people who, like, my Mark Zuckerberg and people accomplish everything at 20. I don't get that. I don't get that. I don't understand that. I really don't. I mean, I, I have mad respect for those people, but it's like, I just finally got my shit together in my 40s. I was like, oh, I'm, I'm a little late to the party, but I'm here. You know what I mean? Here's my first book! You know, it's like, I mean, I don't... Good for them. We all have different, you know... I was just in my own way for so long. I could not get out of my own way. 
That's, I think that's a challenge a lot. I know I have it. You know, <laughs> I hated oh, I myself. I just hated myself and I just could not self, I could not stop self-destructing. So once you had just like destructed to, to nothing pretty much, mm-hmm. except for hopefully, hopefully you still had some handbags and clothes left over. Yeah, I did. Life. I did. I had a, a few Balenciagas that my mom had bought me. Like, <laughs> like when you, I don't, like I had a friend, um, I had a friend who went to rehab and like she was going for, God, I actually do. I think it was for meth. It uh-huh. was for meth and I think his mother, I don't know if her parents knew she was on it. Anyway, she's like. I have to go shopping before I go to Silver Hill. Oh, my God. Jesus Christ. <laughs> He's like, I can't talk right now. I'm going to rehab next week. But, like, <laughs> and this was, like, many years ago. She's like, I need, I think I need to get some of those, like, juicy track suits so I'm comfortable. Oh, my God. That's hilarious. <laughs> and wow. just, like, and, and she's Oh, she's I ended now. up in rehab straight from the psych ward. So they picked me up and I'm in a green gown and fucking green pants that say Glendale Adventist on it. Wasn't even like wow. a good psych ward. Wasn't even Cedars. There's, there, that, I, that was Thalians. I've been in there twice. That's closed. <laughs> they don't even have that one anymore. Wait, there's no Cedars. You would think. No, I've been there twice. <laughs> That's in the book. <laughs> one of the, one of the, one of the uh, times is in the book. Yeah. Psych ward is not, you know, people like, oh my God, I think it'd be so great. It'd be like a vacay. It's not. It's like the most depressing place on the entire planet. It's so depressing. And, you wow. know, you're like with people who think that like the moon controls their penis and, you know, I mean, it's gnarly. And people are going under, undergoing electric, electric convulsive therapy and the food fucking sucks. And it's, it's very, very, very depressing. Unless you like doing puzzles. <laughs> or like crossword puzzles? Or no, like, like putting like, like... Oh my God. Yeah, like there are a lot of puzzles. Unless you like making, you know, ashtrays out of clay and, you know, that kind of <laughs> stuff. It's like, yeah. It's, wow. Yeah, I mean, I had to see the humor, you know, because otherwise I just wasn't going to get through it. Right. So yeah, now, oh my god, it must be like if you can't have a sense of humor about shitty things, like how do you get through them? You don't. Them? You don't. You just feel bad for yourself. And believe me, there it took a point. You know, I was in a lot of self pity. I was like, poor me, poor me. And then I was just like, okay, like this is what's happening. And so let's find the lesson and let's find the humor and let's embrace it because it's happening. So let's have the best time we can and figure. You know, like. Right. I mean, there's this one, you know, it's like, I, you know, I had, I had Beverly Hills doctors, then all of a sudden I'm on Medi-Cal Disability, and Medi-Cal Disability is amazing because everything is free, you know, and mm-hmm. I have, and I, you know, they've totally treated, you know, I have epilepsy from my, mm-hmm. meth, my meth abuse, I actually have epilepsy now, and I've had it for 15 years. That's so frustrating. Yeah, from, from meth. Do they know that it's definitely yes. from that? Yes. So, no one gets epilepsy in their 30s out of the blue, <laughs> you know? Um, but it was like, I was like, where is this place for a pap smear? It's like 45 minute drive. Like, you know, I'm like 85, 15, like oh, there's a taqueria there's like a mini mall with like hello kitty socks and oh like God. El Salvadorian food. And it's like, there's like an arrow, hand painted arrow, Clinica Medica. I'm like, wow. Like there's the, there's the gynecologist. Okay. So your parents would pay for, wouldn't even pay for like insurance at that point. They were, they were, no. And, and they also did, were out of money. You it's, know, they were out of money. No. Oh no. Rehab is expensive. I mean, there's like, what are they? Like 
50,000, 70,000 a yeah, month. I mean, no, I mean, I was in my 40s. They weren't going to be like, okay, we aren't going to come in and save you again. But they didn't have the money for health insurance. I was on my ex husband's health insurance. So it's like, so then, I mean, you know, that's the good thing about having a colorful psychiatric history is that, and being broke, you can get on medical disability. So, They're like, you are crazy and mm-hmm. you have no money. Okay, here. We want to, per- <laughs> you, you don't need to be, you need to be. To protect society from you. So here, we will give you all the treatment you want. It's cheaper for us to pay for your epilepsy medicine than it is to call an ambulance when you have a seizure oh on God, the street. Right? Oh my God. Um, no, we've both been going through a lot of stuff with insurance. Uh, the two, Allie and I both have. And it's been, um, it's been a fucking nightmare. Yeah. It's been a total fucking nightmare. Let me tell you something. Even if you have good insurance and all, I'll just, like, say this because, you know what, it's so funny. I'm like, I really, like, should have a platform to say this. I have really excellent insurance. Mm-hmm. I have what is supposedly the best insurance. And? Um, I had to cry, beg, and practically steal eight hours for a pre-authorization for medicine I needed after I explained to them why I needed so. it. And I'm just like, at one point, I said to the person, I'm like, my doctor didn't prescribe me a Louis Vuitton bag. I don't want to be talking to you on the phone with this. I've spent eight hours. I don't want to go to go through this. Clearly, this is not something I, I want if I had a choice. Of course. Then no, it's they, terrible. It's terrible. Then they gave me an authorization until 2099. Oh, shit. I was like, they felt so bad. For, I was like hysterical. Also, I sounded so insane at that point. I think they were afraid of me. But it's like the, the state of like healthcare in America it's is terrible. So, whether you have money, whether you don't have money, if you can get fucked, yeah. you will get well, fucked. Well, I lived in Paris for two and a half yeah. years, and the healthcare there, it's free, and mm-hmm. it's amazing. Better than, Eng- well, England is shitty. Yeah, the yeah, the, yeah, better, much better than England. That's what wow. is it like there? Now I'm very curious about this. It's amazing. I mean, just anything. The you French want. aren't that terrific, but <laughs> there was a lot of dog. There was a lot of dog shit. This was years ago. There was a lot of dog shit on the sidewalks, and that wasn't good because I was having a lot of seizures and I'd fall down and end up in dog shit. So I was very upset about that. But um, that's why I started having my epilepsy treated, and um, they it, they were it was amazing. In England, I tried to kill myself. Like here, they'll they'll throw you the psych ward if you if you slit your wrist. In England, they just give you a tetanus shot, sew you up, and send you on your way. Oh, I have a <laughs> wait. I'll tell this. I can't even believe I'm telling this story, but a crazy college story. So I was I was going to school in, um, in London, and I was really wasted, and I fell asleep with my leg on a heater, and I have a second oh, degree no. burn on my leg. You got to see a nurse. Oh, you gotta like you've seen that the big scar like. Here, no, right, I've seen it. I didn't know that's what it was from. That, and that's been lasered like a hundred times. Yeah, that doesn't look that bad, Mama. Oh, it was it was out to there. It was like Ooh. I was oh, wearing was like boots keloided? and I could barely. No, it was a blister. I could Ooh. barely like close the boots like over it because it would push. It's a like it was out three inches. It was Ooh. and like my my dermatologist at the time who was married to my cousin was like, "How much were you drinking?" And I'm like, "How did you know?" Right, because no one's And I was just like a dumb, like, Uh, my feet were really cold when I passed (laughs) out in bed. Um, And that, yeah, like, well, let me ask you. So you said, this is like such an interesting conversation. So you said you injured your shoulder and you got Oxycontin. Yeah. How did you get, like... Um, because I was in so much pain, I'd stay up all night crying. And oh my so, God. Um, wow. yeah, it was, I, I had something called frozen shoulder and it was the most painful thing I've ever experienced in my entire life. I couldn't actually even raise my arm. 
and um, they put me, they tried me on Norco, and that wasn't effective enough, and uh, then I thought, you know, I thought because I was in sobriety, and I was going to meetings, I would be okay, mm-hmm. but as soon as that stuff hit my system, like that weird, like I said, that weird that weird vacuum opened up inside me and I immediately started abusing it, even though I didn't like it, even though it made me yell at people and, you know, it made me really ag- aggressive and weird. But, um, yeah, it's slippery slope when you're a recovering addict and you're in chronic pain, you know, thank God that's gone away, but it's very, very slippery slope. That's so how did you end up getting, so what is the story of you getting a book? Cause obviously like anyone would like see this, be, this would make a good book, but, but how did, how did the book happen and what is the reaction from some of the people in your life been? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, well, my friend Amber Tozer wrote Sober Stick Figure. She's a comic and she got a book deal and I knew her and I just had the balls to ask her. I just thought, would you pass on some of my writing to your agent? Oh, that's so like sweet the way you, you say know, that. Like, I was, can I have you know, more, because so, like a yeah. lot of times people don't help each other. And she was like, yeah, of course, I totally would. And she passed on some writing and he loved it. He was like, oh my God, I love your writing. And so we set up a phone call and I pitched him my idea for a book. And he was like, I love it, write it. So I wrote 80 pages and I sent it to him. I just, he wanted just like a section of it. And he was like, whoa slow it down by like half like I don't is this ex-tweaker or is this because you were editorial writer for five years like slow it down and make it more novelistic so then I rewrote it and fleshed it out and sent him 150 pages and then I wrote a wow yeah and then I wrote a proposal wait after 150 pages you wrote the proposal wow then so then he was like okay yeah he's like that's a good sample now let's write a proposal and so I didn't know what a proposal looked like, so he sent me some proposals, and I was like, okay. So I put together a proposal, which is, like, the biggest nightmare of every writer's life. And, um, and amazingly, someone bought the book, so, you know? The, the I editor I feel like who, there was, like, a bidding war or something. Like, know, I feel like there should have been. You know, there was so one woman, Stacey Creamer, who is no longer at Hachette, just fucking loved it. And she was like, I want it. I just, I have to have it. I want it. She loved, they did Sarah Hapola's Blackout, and she loved addiction memoirs, and she just was like, this is awesome, and she loved it. And it kind of went from there. I feel very lucky. I know that for a lot of people, it doesn't go that smoothly. But, like, I feel like something deserves to go smoothly. Yeah, right? I think finally I'm in the right place at the right time. After 20 years, shit. But seriously, like, after everything you went through and then also being so, you know, honest, yeah, of course, you're comedic, but also just really giving people a real space to read and feel safe, I mean, I think, you know, that's why it worked out, you know, the way it did for you. Yeah, I don't know. I just feel really grateful. And then... My mom read it, and she thought it was very funny and well-written, and she cried, and she felt guilty about, you know, parts of my childhood where she wasn't there, and that that created some kind of neediness in me, and there's a lot of addiction on her side, and she felt bad, and I said, Mom, I forgive you. You know, don't cry. It's all good. And I said, forgive yourself. It's all over. My dad, I didn't want my dad to, uh, his girlfriend read him the parts that wouldn't upset him. 
You know, the book is 90% drugs and dicks, let's be honest, okay? So there was a few little portions that he could read that were funny, like Chain Gang and the Psych Ward and my fights with him and, like, little, you know, some stuff with my roommates and sober living. But, you know, I didn't... I'm still his little girl. He doesn't want to hear about men treating me crappy. No, but, like, who would? You know? Like... Like, well, I actually, you know, and, and it's funny, a lot of women have said the sex stuff made them the saddest. That, you know, I just didn't have the self-esteem then. I just was looking for validation, and I um, let myself be treated really badly, and I was in that compulsion, and I just wanted to check out. I was in so much pain, and I just was like, I need to stay sober, and so I was like, really, I used that as my new drug, and thank God that's gone away. You know, I was in a relationship for two years. That ended but I've been celibate since the end of that relationship and um, I'm not, you know, I'm not on Tinder or doing any of that crazy stuff anymore. It's like, you know. Tinder is the worst. Like, nothing good ever comes out of Tinder <laughs> for anyone. Tinder's like eBay for cock. That's what I said. It was so easy. It was so easy. It was ridiculous. It was like Domino's. It was like delivered. In oh, yeah, hour. yeah, yeah. Like, oh, no. It was nuts. <laughs> And I was, like, getting guys, like, like half my age. It was just so embarrassing. I was like, oh, I'm the 40-something, you're divorcee, fucking 25-year-old trying to prove I'm still hot. It was, like, just mortifying. I look back, I'm like, oh, God, what a cliche. But whatever, that's what happened. So that's in the book. <laughs> so what are you, so how is the, so what are you doing now? So the book came out, what, two weeks ago? No, a week ago. It came oh, out last Tuesday. It was last Honestly, I have no idea what the fuck is going on ever. So, a week ago, two weeks ago. It just came out. I just had my first book signing, reading a book soup on Friday. Which is amazing. And, um, yeah. And so, it's all really new. And it's just like, now it's kind of like all the promotional stuff. That's why I'm here with you, bitch. Yeah. (laughs) So, you were, wait, so you have an article? Because I can also link to your other articles, like in the show notes. So, you were in L. Oh, I was in, they did a write up in L. And they compared me to Carrie Fisher I was like who paid this bitch off yeah they compared me to Carrie Fisher's postcards from the edge and said it was one for the ages I was like oh god bless you I mean when I heard that it was an L I ran to CVS and I opened up and it's the September issue of L that's like the big one right you girls know know. so I sat on the floor and I flipped through it and then I saw my book cover and I just started crying it was so just it was so surreal and I was like that's they're like, do you want to pay for this magazine? <laughs> You're crying all over it. I was like, this is my fucking owl. <laughs> you know? Tissues are on aisle three. Yeah, right? <laughs> it was just so surreal. It was so surreal to have this thing that's inside you that was like an idea that's like out in the world living now in people's hands, in bookstores. It's so weird. It's so weird. That is it. Is it weird having, well, I guess like people have known what's going on with you for since you were writing for The Fix. I mean... Yeah, but that's, you know, that's not... This is this is a broader audience than that. This was Refinery29 and Elle and, like, you know... You a, a fashion magazine in Canada and, uh, you know, all this different, you know. So it's like... Um, the, the responses have been great. People love that I'm so honest. They're just like, fuck yeah. Well, it's... Yeah, of course. And they're like, yeah. Yeah. Talking about something, it's like that's how you feel. Own it. So, of course, we're like, fuck yeah, this woman 
you know, has been through hell and back. She's an amazing comedian. You know, she's got amazing things going on right now. She's got a book. She's, you know, able to laugh about it now and share her story and empower people. I mean, what more can you ask for? I'm not surprised. I wouldn't be surprised if it's like a freaking bestseller. We'll see. We'll see how it does. I hope so. You know, and I hope it helps people. I hope it helps them feel, you know, makes them laugh and makes them understand addiction. I really want to break the stigma because it's like, I mean, it really, it's, it's not a happens to those people problem anymore. I mean, you know, addiction kills more people than anything now, more than car crashes, plane crashes, cancer, anything. It's the biggest killer. It's the same because it's a choice versus like a tragedy, which is the same. So it's so true, and I love that you said that. I think it's going to help a lot of people. I, mean, I, I agree. Well, you know, it's, it's a choice the first time you try something, but not everyone who tries heroin or tries oxy or tries cocaine becomes an addict. That's right. the difference. Like, that's where that weird click comes in, that weird biochemical hook that some people have where they're like, oh, other people are like, oh, that was kind of fun, but, like, I, you know, like I've got to go to work mm-hmm. tomorrow. Other people are right. just like, you know, all of a sudden there's just like, it awakens a monster in them. And that's the difference. Yeah. It's, no, I mean, that's so true. That's such a good point. Because there's so many people, like you said, that it just clicks and they're like, oh shit. Okay. Let me do this again. Whereas others just try it and they're like, cool. I tried that. What's next? Yeah. Or I like that too much. I'm never going to do that again. I mean, that's just a right. difference. <laughs> So what, what advice do you have for people who are maybe going through addiction problems and, and reading your book probably at the same time? <laughs> um, don't give up. I relapsed. I was a chronic relapser, and I had, you know, years of sobriety and then ate shit again and years again and ate shit again. And um, I would say, I mean, I... I do something that's introspective. I'm, I'm in a 12-step program. I think that really helped me. I need that moral compass to not be a fucking asshole. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, I need to know, like, how to behave in the world. Because my reactions, my initial reaction, the way, you know, the way my alcoholic brain works is very, it's vengeful, and it's very, you know, blows things up, and it's very negative. And so I need, you know... I run my, my ideas by someone first. I go, hey, I want to do this, you know? And they're like, bad idea. I'm like, oh, I thought it was a fucking great idea, you know? And some, so it's like, and I just, um, yeah, sometimes you need to be caged up. I needed to be caged up and detoxed a couple times to just kind of get it out of your system. And it gets easier with time. It's much easier to stay sober than it is to get sober. And to just yeah. not get, you know, it's like, the, that first year sucks. That first year's rough because you're just, you feel raw. And you have all these big feelings and you're like, ah, mm. you know, and you don't know what to do. So it's like, you know, nicotine and fucking people and ice cream and sleeping and, you know, it's like just anything to not pick up. That's, this is an amazing story. So what do you think is next for you? Other than trying to get through this promotional period. Right, without, without like, wasting away. Oh, my God. Um, I have snacks if you want. <laughs> yeah, after I saw the pictures from Book Soup, I was like, okay, Auschwitz winter casuals. <laughs> like, like let's, let's eat. Um, I, you know, my, my, my dream is that it becomes, you know, a, t- a movie or a TV series. Obviously, a second book. Everyone's mm-hmm. like, write a second book. I'm like, okay, guys, calm down. Um, yeah, and I, I just, I, I would love, to, I'd love to do public speaking too. I really, uh, I think my story could help people. I love speaking to younger kids. 
because I swear a lot and <laughs> they like that and I'm really raw and gross and I'm really I was really hardcore and so they respect that you know what I mean I'm not someone who's like preachy and weird like I have jokes you know and mm-hmm. so um that's it I'm just kind of enjoying the ride I just I feel you know that the book is a huge accomplishment it's really hard I, I, I finished something finally I've been wanting to do this for 20 years wow um never too late either yeah. well that's you know that's the whole thing and so I just I'm excited to see how people respond and where it goes and that's it and I just I, I like who I am today you know and I'm not ashamed of my story, you know, that I, I went through some really shitty things and I did some shitty things, but that was the best I could do at the time. And you know what? I wouldn't be who I am today if I hadn't been through those things and I wouldn't have a book and all that kind of stuff. So it's like everything happened the way it's supposed to, you know, I am the product of those experiences, no matter how painful they were at the time. So it's like, Hey man, you can't go, you can't fucking go. I wish that didn't happen. <laughs> it's like, you know. I mean, I have to say, lots of people who are not addicts also do plenty of shitty things. True. You know? True. Like... Yep. I mean, I'd like to be... Ma- I'd like to get married again. And I was going to say, Amy's super hot. She's, like, <laughs> tall and skinny. She looks like a model. She has, like, perfect bangs oh and God, blonde hair. I don't even know if up. you... Do you highlight your... Like, what are your beauty tips? Because I feel like you said you're in your 40s and you're gorgeous. And we always I'm 47. Do- what? Yeah. No. I swear to God. Like, okay, so what do you do? Because you look, gold. this is totally, like, Would not you say that's old? <laughs> no, 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 she says hashtag, hashtag gold. Yeah, I'm, no, I'm like an old fucking dragon. Um, what? No, I you look amazing. I think it's own your fucking age, too. That's another thing that people don't talk about. It's like, <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like, what am I going to talk about, like, you know, shooting up in my neck, but I'm like, I'm not going to say my real age. It's like, yeah, I'm 47. I'm lucky to be alive, Okay. <laughs> Um, my friend works for Peter Thomas Roth, and so she gives me a lot of products. Um, I use, like, a retinoid thing. I have really greasy skin. I have really greasy skin, and so it sort of just hydrates. I don't spend time in the sun. Um, I drink a lot of water. I really think it's mostly genetic. I don't really even wash my face. I'm kind of like a a grosso, you know? I do, (laughs) like, that's why I have those wipes. I have those wipes, like... You know, and um, I think that the gold, the, there's a gold, like, uh, tinted moisturizer that's the shit. Because I don't wear base. Um, I'll show it to you after. It's I was going to say, no, I'm, link- I'm going to link it. Mm-hmm. Like, because, no, because Amy looks, like, amazing. And I just love, it's like, you know what? You get all of these skincare tips from people who are, like, 22, and that's yeah, great. That, you know, yeah, but it's like... I want to know, like, did you see Jane Fonda at the Emmys? No, did she look amazing? Uh, I mean, like, I would have fucked her. Like, she looked, <laughs> she looked amazing. We all would have fucked her. She looked gorgeous. I mean, she's like 79, Incredible. 75. And it's just like, Incredible. what is she, like, I don't really care what some 22-year-old YouTuber, how she's using highlighter, okay? I yeah, want right? to know, like, if someone Also, I'm really late. So, look, I get eyelash extensions. I really, you I'm really. gorgeous eyelashes. You know, that's eyelash extensions, girl. But they're very natural looking. Yeah, because. Right, girl. I know. I need to do it. Yeah, it's the best. You don't have to do mascara. I have no eyeliner on. I have nothing. I have tinted moisturizer, rouge, and that's it. And I'm here. That's it. That's all I'm wearing. You really don't look your age at all. I know. So anyway, if there are any men who have not totally uh, clicked off or have like stopped this (laughs) podcast. Um, Amy is single and like just super hot, wearing like a turtleneck in LA. 
which sort of impressed. I'm an author now. I have to wear a turtleneck and look literary. I, I almost <laughs> wore long sleeves today. Like, but anyway, this is so buy her book. Follow um, me on Twitter. Yes, what are your, please plug your, your social media. Instagram, anything you want to buy. Amy Dresner, Twitter, Amy Dresner. I have a website, amydresner.com, where you can see some funny pictures from the chain gang. Um, <laughs> and some pictures from Sober Living. You can see all the blurbs from all the famous people and all the reviews. Um, I have an author Facebook called uh, Amy Dresner Official. Like my well, author all, page. I'm gonna link all of it. Yeah, um, that's it. I have I, unlike you, I don't have 19,000 followers. I have like 2,000. I have worked <laughs> really hard for. It. Well, I'd like to know how to do that. I'll, I'll tell you. I'll, I'll tell you when we click off of this because I I have little. Maybe it's because I put too many pictures of my of Colonel Puff Puff, and they're just no. Like, your oh. cat is so cute. He's like. <laughs> You would love... Wait, are you guys friends on Facebook? No. You guys, you, you have Colonel Puff Puff is everything. <laughs> like, you have the best captions, too. Like, like Colonel oh, Puff Puff watching me pee and looking disgusting. Oh, there was... A, I put one up, and it's like... He's like, my mom wrote a book, but I don't... About what an epic fuck-up she is, but I don't really give a shit. I like sleeping. <laughs> like, and he's like, eyes are half-closed. <laughs> Um, just buy the book. Buy it, you guys, buy the book. It's so good. And there's an audio book where you can hear my manly voice and my bad impressions. Like, and that stuff's funny if you like to I know, to I want to listen to it. I know. I'm and going on a like, plane next week. Yeah, it's chain gang, it's psych ward, it's sex, it's drugs. What else could you want? And a happy yeah. ending. Uh, Hello. I know, I love this. Thank you so much for coming on, for Amy. Me. And as we always say, Allie. Thanks, Dolphins. Be, be fabulous, stay fabulous. I always fuck up the ending. It's like, I'm sick. <laughs> and I'm still not quite sure what I'm supposed to say. <laughs> I know, I know. Stay fabulous, be fabulous. Bye. Taught them both how to chain Fonda. One, two, three, four. Get your booty on the dance floor. Work it out. Shake it, little mama. Let me see you do the chain Fonda. Five, six, seven now. If you don't know, let me show you how to work it out. Work it little.